0: Uh, well, this morning, uh, is, I was just thinking about how interesting it is, how fast time flies. Um, as of a couple of days ago, there was a memory that came up on Facebook, and it's this, this first picture. It's been five years since the very first time that I got to preach in front of a church. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I went. It was, uh, it was in Asher, Oklahoma. Uh, where For those of you who don't know, it's the Speed Trap of America, but it's also incredible. It's awesome. And, uh, you know, lots of different things. Um, they, they didn't, they didn't, the people of the church didn't really know who I was. Uh, there was an interim pastor that was there, and he was letting some college students kind of act as pulpit supply. And so, they said, hey, we have a bunch of college students coming. And I happened to be, uh, happened to come. And I remember I walked into the building And as soon as I walk in, I'm kind of being taken around by the person I was meeting. There was a bunch of different, uh, like, people that would come up to me and they go, are you by chance related to the Thule's? which is a really interesting thing. And I was like, yes, Calvin and Donna, my grandparents, because they live in Asher. And they're like, oh, we love them, we know them. You know, it's a small town. But it was interesting that they didn't know who I was, but yet somehow they were able to recognize me. I don't know if you've ever had somebody do that to you where they're like, hey, and they say your name and you're like, I have no idea who you are. It's kind of an uncomfortable situation, right? Because you feel like you should know them. Well, I was thinking about that. And I was like, "Why, why does this happen so much? And then I remember I saw a picture of my grandparents' house. That's my dad. That's my dad. That's Mr. John Tooley. And a picture of me from from college just a few years ago. Um, And so I, I... you know, there's, there, there, there's a slight resemblance. I seem to have some sort of connection to my father, and they happen to recognize this. And you know, what's interesting is as I'm like walking around and, and, and like getting older, I recognize that I have a lot of similarities with my dad as far as like my speech patterns or the, or the, uh, like the, the mannerisms I do. Like whenever I get stressed, I kind of play with my hair. I'm thinking. I kind of like mess with it. My dad does the same thing. Um, and, and there's a lot of, like, the values that he holds that I talk with him, and, and it's like, yeah, we line up on a lot of these different things. You know, what's interesting is that as a child of my father, Mr. John Tooley, uh, as, a, as a child of my father, I, I look a lot like him and I didn't really have to do a lot of makeup to do that. It just kind of happened, right? I have a lot of the similar values as my dad, not because I'm trying to like earn his acceptance in whatever way. And I have a lot of the same actions, and I like, and not because I'm trying just to obey him because he has an authority in my life. Although he you know, he does he does to a certain extent, and he did as a kid. Uh, the way that I am, the way that I live my life, my values, like the way that I look, is simply. From the fact that I am a child of my father, and for that those who see my life and they, and, they, and they see my face and they see the way that I act, they recognize that there is that I am connected to him and so as as as, as a church we 've been working through. God, like through Christ in every book, and what's really interesting to me, uh, John one says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Is that if all of Scripture points to God and, and to who He is, and, and everything points to Christ, that it's it's gonna it makes sense that we would see God and we would see Christ in every single book, if all of it points to Him because this book comes from Him, and in the same way as Christians. You and I, we, the, way, the reason that we act and we obey and we listen and we do all the things that we do is not because we're trying to earn something or we're trying to prove ourselves in some way, but there, is, there should be fruit and evidence of the fact that you are a child of God. We are children of God, and because of that, our lives are naturally going to look more and more like Him. In Hebrews 1 uh, verse three says that he being Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the words of his power and in the first five books we got to see the character of Christ uh, through the work of God and in creation and setting the law and in establishing Israel we get to see God's character and how he works by his own actions in the lives of his people and so now we're getting to the next part. We're in Joshua this morning. So if you want to turn to the book of Joshua uh, this morning with me, we, are, we get to see, we're entering into what's called the historic books. Uh, these are stories of Israel and, and their kings and his people and their actions uh, in the history of this nation that at this point is really new the term that we use for like like what we what we're doing right now is we're studying typology meaning that these are these are actions or scenarios or pictures and people that actually foreshadow something that happens in the future right there's there's pictures that help us to understand actions that we do now and then vice versa we can see why like the flood was important, and we can see why. Going, like in Joshua, we get the people of Israel go through the river, uh, and it's, it's supposed to be the symbol of baptism. It's this picture of baptism that God was bringing His people, cleansing them of their sins, and bringing them into this new life. We're studying typology, and so these pictures as a, as a student of Scripture, and 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 ultimately a, a, a student of God. And, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but if you are a follower of Christ. You are not my student, you are not Rob's student, you're not a student or or a member simply of Northwest Baptist Church, but ultimately you are a student of God's word and and you are a student of the Lord himself. And so everything that we say from the pulpit, everything we say in our Wednesday nights should always be pointing to who God is. And so we are not here just to simply give you these things, but we're here to help you as you are growing in your relationship and you are glorifying God with your life. So these pictures help us to understand the themes going through scriptures, going backwards and forwards. So today, as we are studying the book of Joshua, I pray that we can see Jesus through the person of Joshua in a way that will ultimately lead us to humility, to praise and worship, and to confession in our own lives, just in your own hearts, uh, even as we leave from this church you know, I had a, had a teacher uh, at OBU who told me that theology is really only as authoritative as it is faithful to Scripture. And it's only as effective as it leads to worship of the Father. And in the same way, us, as we are studying God's Word, you, have, you can have a lot of knowledge about the Word of God. But if it doesn't lead to worship and praise of the Holy God, then we've missed something. And so as we are uh, studying this book, uh, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Uh, let's stand as we read the word of God aloud. This is something that we do as a church just that week because we want to honor God and the the word that he's given us. And so uh, we'll start in verse one. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, who had served Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. But now you and all the people prepare to cross over to the Jordan, to the land I'm giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness in Lebanon to the great Euphrates River and all the land of the Hittites, uh, east to Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses, and I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you will, dis- uh, will dispute the land I swore to your fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are, not, you are to recite it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For you will prosper and succeed in wherever you go. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You guys may be seated. Let's, let's pray. God, would you show us yourself through this book? Lord, will this not be a time that we just listen to, to some person speak, but God, that we would understand your word and that we would grow in our relationship with you. Father, we love you above all, and we're grateful for what you've done. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so the main idea, if, and uh, if you, like, you know, like I'm not going to do this, by the way, just FYI, but if I were to break into your house at 3 a.m. and come to your bed and wake you up and say, what was the main point of the sermon? What did you learn? The one thing that I hope that you would remember is that the book of Joshua Calls God's people to be strong and courageous by trusting the hand of the Lord through obedience to His word. I'll say that one more time. The book of Joshua calls God's people to be strong and courageous by trusting the hand of the Lord through obedience to His word. So as we are uh, studying God's word too, sorry, there's a lot of lot of framework that I'm setting. Um, it is important that we are faithful to the text as it was written. Um. There's there's four layers to when you're we're studying scripture and this is just uh you know like just a freebie I guess. Um there's we read the passage what the passage says. Then we we ask the questions what would this have meant to the people of God? Like so the readers initially what would that would have meant to them? Then we say okay what is the connection to Christ? How does this point to Christ and who he is? And then what is the principle then that we take away from it, okay? It's important that we read the passage what would the readers would initially have thought? How does this actually connect to Christ? And then what do, we, what do we do with that? See, the problem is if we go from the passage and straight to Jesus, we don't ask that question of what this would have meant, uh, we get what's called spiritualization. And, uh, and, and, and that's like where we say, yeah, Jesus ultimately killed everybody in the book, right? Because this book of Joshua is a book about the war and the triumph of the land of, of the promised land. And so if you go straight from what the, the passage says to, to what like, this is Jesus, like Joshua is Jesus, then we miss something in Scripture, and there, and there can be some false teachings that come from that. And in the same way, if we say, "Okay, what's the passage? What would this have meant to the people?" and then uh, and then what are we supposed to do with that? If you were to read the Book of Joshua, you would immediately think, "Okay, well, I need to go into the land of the sinners and then kill everybody and then be in, and then take the land for myself." And there's a problem there, just a slight problem. So as we are reading this, and when we're talking about what, what, where Christ is in this book, it is important for us to be faithful to the text And we first have to talk about what, is it, what, what would this have meant to the people reading it. And so here's what's happening. Uh, the people of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt. They initially came there to seek refuge during a famine. They began to grow, and the Pharaoh of Egypt saw that there was problems whenever the, his servants far outnumbered his own people. And so he began to oppress and, and put them into slavery. And so the people of Israel were enslaved to uh, Egypt. And it was a pretty harsh enslavement. And so the Lord raised up Moses to come in. And he proclaimed to, the, to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And God, in his grace and his mercy, he heard the crying of his people who were in trouble. And then what he did was he, he led them out of, of Egypt to Mount Sinai where he gave them the law. He gave them, he established them as a nation. He said, officially, you are now Israel, okay? Now, they went into the wilderness, right? This just kind of this walking around period. Uh, and and, the, and God said to his people, trust me, I will give you everything that you know or that you need. I will give you this land that I promised you called the promised land. It's this really great area. And, we, and, we, and we've seen these other books, there's this this, this story that's like people are walking through, but yet they begin to grumble. And they begin to get angry, and they just complain about God, and they complain about, uh, about, about Moses. And they disqualified themselves because they weren't being faithful to, the people, or to God and his commands. They began to turn away from God. And so because of that, God and his grace, rather than just saying, you know what, no, you don't get the land, you're just all going to die. He lets a generation pass of, of people who had been unfaithful and let an entire generation go by. And even Moses himself disqualified himself by being unfaithful to God. And because he let them all pass away until the next generation came up. And he says, I'm going to give you this land. Because he had told his servant Moses, he had told his people before. And so now, we're in this book. And it says that after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant uh, spoke Sorry, the Lord's servant. The Lord spoke to Joshua, the, uh, the son of Nun, who had served Moses. Joshua was like his, sec- his right-hand man. He was like the second in command. He's like his like, fantastic intern that was ready to take, open, like, take over the next spot. Okay? And he says, my servant is dead. Now that you, you and all the people prepare to cross over to the Jordan to the land that I am giving you. And the story begins as God is moving. And he's, he's moving his people into this area that he had promised that he was going to be faithful in. And so as we're studying this, Joshua is the main character. We're going to be looking at the character of Joshua. But ultimately, while Joshua seems to be the main character, ultimately the main force and the main actor in this is God himself. So as we are studying these, like who Joshua is, let us also remember that this is ultimately a story about God and his faithfulness to his people. If that makes sense. All right, so we're going to be, we're going to be reading. And, and we see three aspects of who Joshua is that kind of span the whole book. These are the three themes. One, and the first point is this, is that Joshua is acting as a priestly ruler. In verse 7, it says this. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. In this time, as, as Joshua was starting as the main leader of Israel, he was, he was acting not simply just as king, right? At this point, there had been no king in Israel. at this like, like That would come in the future, but he was the ruler and he, he was the leader of the people, but ultimately what he was doing was he was almost acting as the, the main priest, the main connection with God. Here's why, here's why I say that. He was commanded to obey the law to recite it, to teach it, and to follow it. And as a leader, he would be the intermediary through which God would act according to his people. Joshua was not acting on his own authority or his own leadership activity. He was leading his people simply by reciting and following and obeying and teaching the word of God. And all of his words says that this is the word of the Lord. He's not acting simply just on his own authority. God had given him this position, but he said, ultimately, do these things by obeying me and entrusting my word. In, in, in verse, chapter 1, verse uh, 10 through 18, it says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the, of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get provisions ready for yourself. For within three days you'll be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land your Lord, the Lord your God has given you to inherit. He said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and, and the members of the half-tribe of Manasseh, Remember what Lord's, Moses the Lord's servant commanded you when he said, The Lord your God will give you rest. He will give you this land. Your wives, your young children, livestock may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but your fighting men must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he has given to you. And they took and they too possess the land the Lord your God has given them. You may then return to the land and in your inheritance and take possession of what Moses, the Lord's servant, gave to you on the east side. And they answered, to, they answered Joshua, everything you've commanded us we will do and everywhere you You send us, we will go. We will obey you as Moses and everything. And may the Lord your God be with you, as He was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your word, in all that you command him, will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. Joshua was telling his people he was getting ready for battle. He's getting ready to go into this land that was filled with these people that were had been unfaithful to God and had just totally decayed as as a society. And Joshua is telling them, hey, get ready. But hey, before you got to get ready, you got to consecrate yourself. Because God is ultimately the one that's going to do this. And so by the people saying, we, we trust you, Joshua, again, like we said, it wasn't Joshua on was his own words, but it was him following the lead of God, acting as a priest. In uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, We see this story of of the people of Israel. Joshua started the next morning and left the the grove. And with all the Israelites, they went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, carried by the Levitical priest, you must break camp and follow. But keep a distance, about a thousand yards, between yourself and the Ark. Don't go near it, so you will see the way you go. uh, For you haven't traveled this way before. And he, as, and he continues to go on, and he tells them that you, they must consecrate themselves and, and, and purify themselves as they're going into this battle. Not because it's supposed to give them super strength, but because they are going into a place that God is giving them. God's the ultimate authority, and so he's telling them, "Consecrate yourself before you go in." In chapter four, verse, uh, verses two and two through four, there's the there are these or God tells Joshua. To take twelve stones and to set it up as a memorial as they crossed the river, and so Joshua does that, and it was to do it in remembrance of what the Lord had done, because God had stopped the river, this Jordan River, from flowing so that the people could cross. It's like a second uh, time, as like of the Red Sea, where Mo- you know Moses parted the Red Sea It was the Lord who parted the Red Sea. Do this in remembrance, and then uh, in, in in chapter five. Verses uh, 9 through 7. We're just, we're just kind of pushing through here, by the way, in case you can't understand. Or in case you don't know, um, to see what's going on. Um, Joshua raised sons in their place. It was these he circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised among the way. But after the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed there where they were in the camp until they recovered. See, the this, this sign of circumcision was ultimately a sign of their covenant with God. And there had been an entire generation who had been unfaithful to God, and now these people are coming out of the wilderness, and they had not yet had the sign of the covenant with God. And so Joshua, under the command of the Lord, tells them to circumcise yourself, to suddenly be faithful to God, to say, hey, by the way, you are now God's people again. And he reestablished this covenant with his people, and he told them to circumcise themselves. Joshua, as he is working through these people and, he, and he's beginning this battle, he's not acting on his own, just plain authority, but he is acting as the priest and the ruler at the same time in order to, to lead his people to follow the Lord, and the Lord was going to give them the land that he had promised. The second thing, second point that we see in chapter 1, verse 8, is that Joshua is ultimately the victor over sin. In verse 8 it says, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth, You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. You see, the Canaanites were evil and, like, this unrighteous people. Like, when we talk about sexual immorality, like, there was, like, incest that was common. There was, uh, there's uh, uh, child sacrifices that were happening. Like, the the people in the land, these Canaanites, had been, were, were sinful, and they had rebelled against God, and they, and they were wicked and evil, and they were full of this sin. And so, as, as God is bringing his people into the land, it's really easy to feel like this book is about how uh, Israel was great, and so God gave them the land, and then God was working, and the, it was just really was based on the people. But in reality, God, in bringing his, being faithful to his people, and being faithful really to himself, he was bringing judgment upon the people of Canaan. They had rebelled against him, and because of this sin, because they were living in sin, they were, they were being punished and removed from the land. Now this is a really crucial point, because in, in uh, let's see, let me, let me pull it up. Uh, chapter five, verse 13, says this. When Joshua was near Jericho, He looked up and saw a man standing uh, with him in front of uh, with a drawn sword in his hand. Right, he's he's out spying Jericho. He's getting ready for his first battle, and he's looking at the land. He's looking at this city that he's about to that God has told him to start conquering. And he's as he's scouting, he sees this man standing right there with his sword drawn. And he said, he asked him, "Are you for us or are you for our enemies?" And the 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 angel said, "Neither." I have now come as the commander of the Lord's army. And then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, what does my Lord want me to say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And then it goes on now, Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. This is incredibly important as Christians because it, it has to, it forces us to adjust our mindset. God was not acting just for the sake of his his people and were just giving Israel because they were Israel. God was not on Israel's side. He was not on this nation's side. Rather, Joshua was on the Lord's side. This angel of the Lord... Came and was and he was he was the leader of the Lord's army. He was the one who was gonna go to battle with the people of Israel. And Israel was supporting God and, and being obedient to him. But ultimately, the people were serving God rather than the other way around. God's biggest concern, his biggest enemy is so far beyond just the simple like breakdowns that we have as far as our. Like national borders and in our, in our societies and all, like all this different stuff. God's ultimate enemy is not, is not necessarily people, but it's sin. God waged this war against sin. And so Joshua is having to realize something here that this is not God fighting just for Israel to give Israel, but it's Israel fighting with God and being submissive and obedient to God. Because he was ultimately, as he's winning these battles, and he, and he continues on. In chapter 6, he gets victory over Jericho. In chapter 7 and 8, there's this, there's, Ai, there's a city named Ai. And they go, and they were going to conquer it. And God had said, hey, as you're conquering these, pl- these, these, these cities, take the spoils. But those, are, those belong to the Lord. Don't give those out to the people. Well, there were some soldiers that had decided to take some of the stuff for themselves and hide it in their tent. Rather than devoting it to the Lord. And because of their, the sin, because of their disobedience, the people failed in their initial attack on, on Ai. And so God, so it, so Joshua and the command of the Lord dealt with that sin, and then they went to battle again, and they won. In chapter, and chapter, so that's chapter seven and eight, and then in eleven, or chapter eleven, verse sixteen through nineteen, and we're just continuing to work on through here. It's great. This is awesome. Joshua said, so Joshua took all this land, the hill country with all the Negev and the, the land of Goshen, the, the foothills, uh, the Arabah, and the hill country of Israel with its foothills, and with, from Mount Halak, which ascends Seir, as far as Golgad, in the valley of Lebanon, to the foot of Mount Hermon. He captured all the kings and struck them down, putting them to death. And Joshua waged war with these kings uh, for a long, a long time, no city made peace with the Israelites except the Hivites who inhabited Gibeon, and all of them were taken in battle. You see, because of their faithfulness to God, and God was working, and He was He was the one that was ultimately conquering these people. All these nations that were practicing these, like they were just, they're in sin. They were they were rebelling against God. They were offering child sacrifices. God was delivering them, the people of Israel, like these these kings, into the hands of the people of Israel when he was giving them the land. He was giving them victory over these, this, the sin that was in this area. And, and and we continue on, and it begins to talk about all the territories and the, and the conquest. And it just gives us a list of kings and countries of all these people that were conquered by Israel, but ultimately it was God's victory over sin. That was his biggest concern. In chapter 1, verse 9, we see that Joshua is not only acting as a priestly ruler, nor is he acting as a, as a victor over sin by obeying the Lord. But We also see that he is a sign of God's faithfulness. In verse 9 it says, Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As, as Joshua was leading his people, he didn't have to fear whether or not he was going to be successful. You see, as the people had walked into the land before, they, were, they, they saw the, the, all the men that they were around to fight, and they were fearful. And because of that fear that they had, and they, 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 they decided to not obey God. And because of that, they were not able to go into the land. But Joshua, as he is he's walking into the land. God gives him a promise. He says that I will be faithful to you. I will go with you wherever you go. God's not going to fail. And in, in chapter six, we see that there's this there's or this, there's this prostitute in Jericho that hides the peop, like hides the spies that came in to scout out the land. And she saw what, that the Lord was with these, these people, so she decided to, be, to hide them and ask that God would remember her and her family because they want to devote themselves to him. And when she eventually meets with Joshua, Joshua sends his men into the city to take Rahab and her entire family out before the, bat, the rest of the battle was done. The Gibeonites, they, they saw that that, that, Israel, that God was with Israel and they saw what they were doing. And so then they came into the land, or they, they came to the people of Israel and they tricked them. They said, hey, we're just, we're just wandering. We're not really these, these other enemies. But whenever the, the, it was found out that they actually were Canaanites, that they had just seen what God was doing and they, they, they wanted to submit to God, Joshua ultimately was the one who kept his word and kept his covenant, even though it was made in, in a, some sort of false light. Joshua was, 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 this, was this sign of faith of God's faithfulness. And then in chapter 14, we see that there's this inheritance that all the land that would be given to, and how it would be, would be broken up into this kind of like this map that's made of words, which is kind of hard for us to conceptualize, but it was based on the commands of Moses and the inheritance that Moses was going to give his people. Based on what the Lord had done, and so Joshua was being faithful to to give the inheritance to the people, as their servant Moses had commanded them. And then we see in chapter twenty three, verse fourteen through sixteen, it says this. And this is towards the end of his life. He says, "This I am now going the way of all the earth, and you know with your heart and with all your soul that none of the good promises of the Lord your God made to you has failed." Everything was fulfilled for you, not one promise has failed. Ever since, or since every good thing the Lord your God has promised you has come about, so he will bring on you every bad thing until he has annihilated you from the, this good land the Lord has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord with your God, which has commanded you, and go down to worship other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly disappear from this good land he has given you. See, Joshua was reminding his people of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the covenant that they had made. And he tells them, he says, if you turn away from the Lord, because, again, like this kind of goes back to the, the, the victor over sin. If, if the people of Israel turn to sin and they rebel against God, that same wrath that was brought upon the land was going to be brought upon them. And sure enough, this people of Israel were captured and were stripped of their land and put into servitude, in, in, in exile. Joshua was the sign of, of was acting as the sign of God's faithfulness, even though his people had not been faithful. And so you say, okay, great. Why does that matter? Why are we going through the book of Joshua? Why why, why does this book tell us about who God is, and why does Christ how does Christ relate to Joshua? Well, the answer is that we ultimately get salvation through the judgment of God. See, God was saving his people for himself by bringing judgment upon these, these people who had been, had been sinful. The people of Israel, even whenever they sinned and rebelled against God, and they, and they failed and they were killed by these other armies that were much stronger than they were when they dealt with the sin, man, God began to be faithful to them again, and, he, and they restored that relationship again. And in the same way God told you, I will be with you. And it was through these people that, that ultimately would come this, the, the Christ. You see, Rahab, a prostitute from Jericho, who was a pagan, is actually listed in the genealogy of Christ. It wasn't because she was a super great person or because of all this stuff. It was because that through her line, through her faithfulness, the Son of Man would come and he would bring about salvation for many. And she was considered. She was listed in the genealogy where Jesus came from. The perfect God, come in the form of flesh. And so you ask, okay, that's that's cool. How does this relate to Christ? Well, and and we see that Christ is actually the priestly ruler. In Hebrews seven, it says this: He whom these things said are said belong to the different to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. Talking to, he's, he's talking about Jesus. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to the tribe, that Moses had said nothing about priests. And what we've said is even more clear if another priest, like Melchizedek, appears. The one who became a priest, not on the basis of regulation, but by his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of the indestructible life, for it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. At the beginning of the book, we have this random story where Mo, like, or Abraham is walking through the land and, we, and he meets this, this priest that's actually called a ruler. He's a king, but he's also caused, called a priest of the Most High God. And Moses, the, or sorry, Abraham, the, the founder of the faith, the first one called, gave... Himself, like, submitted to this priest. And so in the same way, Hebrews is telling us that Jesus himself is not just a, a, a good person. He's not even just king, but he's also our high priest. He's our priestly ruler who, who commands us and we submit to him. But yet he also goes to God on our behalf. He's the victor over, the, over sin in Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And, and that Jesus is also the sign of God's faithfulness. In Matthew 20, verse 16 through 20, and you, you probably recognize this, but it says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, and when he saw him, they worshipped him. This is after Jesus has died on the cross and rose again. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Jesus is telling his disciples the same thing that God had told uh, Joshua at the very beginning, to be strong and courageous, to not depart from the words, but to, tell, but to even go beyond that and go tell these other nations about the goodness of God and teaching them to observe all that he had commanded. And he says, but by the way, I'm going to be with you. Christ, and in all of these areas, or sorry, as, as we're reading through these, these stories in the Bible, we see these characters we should have in our mind, is this, is this the one that would come and fix our problems? Is this the one that would ultimately come and fix sin? And while Joshua seemed to be faithful and he seemed to be a great leader, ultimately Joshua would pass away. And the people of Israel in the book of Judges, immediately as soon as he passed away, they began to be unfaithful to God and they were stripped from, stripped from the land. And then there's this whole period where people of Israel are are like, suddenly they don't hear from God for like 400 years. And then onto the scene walks Christ. Who even as the priestly ruler, not only was acting on behalf of God and to his people, he was also the the sacrifice that that was put on the cross for our sins. He was the victor over sin, not in a temporary sense where he punished, like punished the sin, but he, gave, he took our sin. He took our unfaithfulness. Not just the one, all of it. Every bit of our sin is, has, has been taken from Christ if you give your life to him. And here, here's the crazy thing, is that rather than just having our sin taken from us, we, as God's people, receive his righteousness, And then we seize the sign of faithfulness. When we give our lives to Christ, man, we're gonna fall short time and time again. But yet Christ gives us hope that he's not gonna just disown us. He says, come to me and receive forgiveness. And we receive this sign of faithfulness through the Holy Spirit that we are sealed for a God until the time that he comes back. So, what do, what do, how, do we, how do we take from this? What do, we, what do we do? Here's the thing. If Christ is our high priest, if he is the victor over sin, if he is the one that ultimately is the sign of God's faithfulness, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, why do we try to rely on anything else in this world for life? Why do, we, why, why do we turn to anything else besides the one who is ultimately sufficient for everything? Our lives, we, we have sinned against God and, we, and we, we've turned away and we suddenly don't have any more life in us. And God says, you cannot reach me. Your sinfulness is too much for you to even bear. But yet I am sending my son Jesus to come and die on your behalf. And he acts as that payment, that sacrifice for us. And so church, uh, John chapter 3, Jesus says that he he came into the world. And this is, uh, I'm trying to remember the verse. It's 16 through 20. It's kind of 21. It's in there. Um, Go check me on it, please. Um, But he says that the light has come into the world and so that those who go into the light, like whoever submit to Christ, they're they're walking in this light. But those who do not want their sin to be exposed, they stay in the dark and they avoid the light. Church, if there is sin in our lives, if there is any unfaithfulness, any way that we turned away from God, don't hide that. Don't try to hide that from Christ. Christ knows all. He is in all. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows where we are at. And He made a sacrifice for every single sin. That you will ever commit. Come to him in repentance. Come to him as our high priest. Don't try to hide that. Don't try to make yourselves look better than you are. Come to Christ and allow the work that he came to do. Be fulfilled through your life. And the other thing is this. If you've never given your your life to him. We are, we are told that our sinfulness has offended a righteous and holy God. And because of that, we have been separated from him. Or we are deserving. And we are already condemned if we are outside of Christ. We are already condemned. But Christ came so that we might have, not to condemn the world, but that we might have life. I just want to let you know that there's no other way that you can experience true, eternal, full life without Christ. And so, if there's any, if there's anything, I come come to him, come come talk to one of us. There's pastors. There's people in this church that know Christ and love Christ. Come talk to somebody about what it means to have life in Christ, because he is so good. And he has taken every sin and every weight from my life, and I get to have life in him because of what he's done on the cross that I did not deserve. He has defeated sin. He has acted as the high priest who's going on my behalf to the Father, to the most holy places, and he is ultimately the sign of God's faithfulness. I don't have to worry about if I've been good enough to reach God. I don't have to worry about staying in line because what what happens if God is going to reject me? God gives us grace and his mercy through the person of Christ Jesus so that we can experience the faithfulness of God. We need this Christ above all. And if we go to anything else, it's going to leave us dry. And so we're going to to pray and we're going to sing another song as as we praise God for who he is. And I just ask that if you have not had a chance to have this relationship or you just have questions, it's worthy to ask questions of this. Come talk to one of us. Come down front. Go talk to somebody in your small group. Go talk to your friend that's brought you or just talk to somebody. Because Christ is worthy of our lives. Let's pray. I thank you for this.